Hey everybody, Sean King here. For the month of July, I'm on sabbatical, so we're rerunning some of our favorite episodes of The Breakdown and other North Star podcasts. I hope you enjoy them, and I'll see you again in August with brand new content. Welcome to Season 2 of Sick Empire. I'm Brandon Janice. And let me start by breaking down how we got to where we are with this podcast. We started last season at the height of the pandemic, and I invited a diverse mix of New Yorkers to share their stories of surviving in the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. And we got a chance to expose the inequalities highlighted by COVID-19. We got to hear the impacts that the virus had on communities of color. And we listened to guests who normally wouldn't share a stage, like a congressman and a Trader Joe's cashier, a public advocate and a city bus operator, an inner city school teacher and a climate change activist. So this season, I wanted to explore what happens after the diagnosis. How do we move forward after having our worlds turned upside down? Most importantly, how do we heal ourselves? So I'll be putting together shows that feature an eclectic mix of guests who can help guide folks to getting better. And I'm not only talking about better health, I'm talking about better wealth, economics, the mental toll of police brutality and beyond. So stay tuned because this season we are digging deep into the suffering to find peace. This is Brandon Janice and you're listening to Sick Empire. Sick Empire. Our first guest is my dear sister, Sonia Ohm. I met Sonia eight years ago. I was 22 or 23, and I had just moved to the mid-city section of Los Angeles. It was the hood hood, not the rap hood. (laughs) And I didn't know what I was doing with my life at that time. And one day, I was walking down Washington, headed towards La Brea to catch the 212 bus to take me to my hostess job in Santa Monica, And I noticed a storefront yoga studio on the corner, right up the block from my house. And I didn't have time to stop in, but a few days later, I went back and took class with Sonia. And after that, I never left. (laughs) Sonia taught me yoga for three years and even coached me through my yoga teacher certification. But more than that, she introduced me to a form of spiritual work and spiritual teachings that most Black women are distant from. And can I ask you, as a Reiki practitioner, what did healing look like for you growing up? Oh, gosh, that's hard. Um, I didn't kind of get taken care of on a mental-emotional level. It was more um, just relationship with my main caretaker, who's my mom, um, and kind of the rest of the world, honestly, healing was only just like going to the doctor and for physical Western science problems. Like I grew up with severe asthma, but 
I never really got any emotional, mental component of healing growing up. I, I feel the same way, right? So in that sense, I guess people like us uh, maybe are the the best people to teach healing and to learn it, right? Because it's something foreign. So we're learning it almost from its essence, from the beginning. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. I think your own wounds give you higher intelligence in those realms to create and heal through your own self-healing, which is yoga too, of course, um, path of self-realization. So as you become enlightened, it would be called within more Eastern or Reiki realm, but as you reach Samadhi or bliss, that you'll be so healthy on all levels, process of self-realization. And in this and today, right, these are ancient practices, at least yoga is an ancient practice, right? And Reiki's pretty old too. And today with the pandemic, not only the, the coronavirus pandemic, but the state violence that we're seeing almost daily now against the black body, can you talk about that idea of finding a healing practice that works for you? Because, I mean, yoga, Reiki, they weren't in your community. They weren't in your home. However, you found a way to them somehow, right? Can you talk about the importance of, of digging a little deeper and finding healing practices that even though they may be foreign to your family, uh, work for you? So when the pandemic started, shortly thereafter, about two months later, I had to um, move out of my studio, my, my yoga studio, but which also had a Reiki component to it. And um, I wanted to do some Reiki attunements where you, where you pass on the energies to others and they can use it to heal themselves. They learn to really work with symbols of the different healing energies and heal others. In summer vacation, everything started coming up with George Floyd and with Breonna Taylor and this massive fact of racism in America and America's history finally being talked about. Reiki 1 and 2 training started to formulate. Everybody kind of came in from different avenues, but essentially five Black women all took the training at the same time. And nobody kind of knew who else was in the training. I started it all on Zoom. Um, and that was like the first time that they actually saw each other was on the screen. And it was like all ages and everyone really uh, beautiful, strong, creative, smart women. And it's just an amazing connection from its outset. And then as we started having the discussions, it wasn't even really like me teaching. I mean, of course, I was teaching Reiki and and leading the certification course, but everyone's wisdom and intelligence was so strong that it really became like a huge building session. So we, we've continued the connection um, and went on into level two. Um, 
And then quite a few one of those, those ladies met with others and took a level three. And it's just create a beautiful strength system for everyone. I want to keep the momentum going because Reiki is one of these tools that can definitely be used to help others. And that's a beautiful thing. But when you are having a hard time, you need to do it, give it to yourself. You can give it to yourself with laying on of hands or through meditation to grow and learn with this group of, of other black women. And everybody's really propelled forward. Like the yoga student, she was actually, um, had just done her certification to be a therapist and now she is. So she's one of the few black mental health, um, professionals, quote unquote, in LA, cause there's not a lot of black people of color in general in the field. There's a woman who's an actress and she just made a short film. Um, it's called Stop Killing Us. Her name's Terry Abney. Um, I know she would be okay with me saying her name. Everybody's really propelled forward by connecting. Even at my like lowest points, I always feel like a Black female ancestor, you know, with me by my side or fighting with me, whatever it is, I always feel the presence, especially in deep, darker moments of life. I always feel the presence of like one of my ancestors and she's always black. That heightens the amount of healing energy that black women have that is specific to black women. Can you talk about the differences that you feel teaching black women yoga and Reiki that you maybe don't feel with anyone else? I had never had the pleasure of attuning other Black women to Reiki until this recent um, training I did over the summer. And um, it was a, the strongest sisterhood I've ever felt. Um, yeah, period. I mean, our our uh, conversations were amazing everywhere from politics and race, of course, but movies and characters in movies and uh, details from the past. Uh, one girl who's an actress, um, she's always was involving very much her ancestors and having visits from her ancestors. And then I brought in one of my best, my Reiki sister, who's a black woman, just to support the group because she's so amazing that I wanted everybody to meet her. So it was just this abundant celebration too and like connection that honestly, I've never felt that before because um, I've never been in just a sisterhood of only black women. So it was just fantastic. But um, the, it's incredible bond that we have when we get together. And I think this pandemic is forcing us to do it more. I, I thought about you and I wished that you were in it, Brandon. So you asking me to do this interview and being able to share this with you and finally talk to you about this is perfect because during the Reiki training over the summer, I was saying, oh, I wish Brandon was in this group. Oh, that's so great to hear. I was definitely a bit jealous. In this critical time of the COVID pandemic, healing techniques such as yoga and Reiki are vital um, 
and that those people who are creating positive change and that who are trying to do this massive job of evolution of social justice growth we have to treat ourselves with some form of healing method in order to do this because it's army it's a war right we're in a spiritual battle and it's it's on now um so we have to really take all of the the blessings and the gratitude from all the shifts that are happening even with also the pain and suffering that it's caused and causing but we have to use that as a momentum to keep going forward our next guest is Adama Elijah and she is a force a holistic woman who is calling for the wholeness of humanity now I want you to really listen to her. I ask her about her personal healing practice, the power of gathering circles, and the future of wholeness. What are some of the healing practices that you offer? Foundationally, Brandon, there has to be a realignment with the who that we each are as these points of this absolute and supreme intelligence in order for there to be real healing, a recognition and a realignment, a reattunement with the reality that there is absolute law that governs our being and that as beings, we are divinely designed and designed divinely to be vehicles and vessels of that which is absolute love, light, wisdom, truth, spirit, and wholeness. We're spirits that dwell in these bodies and these bodies are under siege by what I refer to as the corporate deities of death. The meat, the dairy, the eggs, the chicken, the fish, the alcohol, tobacco, the sugar, the pharmaceuticals, the white stuff that turns into mucus. And we're talking generations impacted and affected by it. So I provide support spiritually in realigning and reattuning the being the planet itself is an intergalactic biospheric spaceship, and these bodies are divinely designed for this cosmic journey. We are breatharian first. We must breathe. Everybody from the blackest black to the lightest light must breathe to activate our capacity for truly visioning. We are co-creators in life. We're creating our own reality. And there are no forces, no bosses, no ones who have a greater power and authority in our lives than we do. The way that the system has been predicated on the violation of our indigenous families, the enslavement of our African families, and the continued cellular oppression, ambassadorization of everybody else, means that there's a serious karmic debt that has to be paid. The spirits that we have and are have, have, can make, um, can heal from anything, but they have to be willing to do what is required in order to facilitate it. We can go to practitioners, we can go to uh, those who have whatever modalities, but no one else has as much power and authority in our lives than we do because the way that we think and the capacity for thought is our greatest ally. So we have to be activated mentally, spiritually, physically, 
and emotionally. Now, as people are doing their daily detoxing, daily cleansing, inside and outside, then what shows up are some of the things that were deeply embedded in the past, the anger, the uh, resentment, the, the feelings of abandonment and unworthiness and undeservedness because we were socialized to be on the path of adulterations, blame and guilt and all kinds of indiscretions and things that we don't discuss. Those things begin to rise up in us, and then we have the opportunity to meet them, take responsibility for it, forgive it, release it, let it go, make affirmations. I facilitate um, healing or empowerment circles for both men and women every week at my Holistic Life Center here in Atlanta. I do plan to uh, create a Zoom uh, format because I have so many people who are in so many places who need consistent support in 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 the due diligence. Now, now think about this, right? We were told, "Thou shalt love thy mother, father, creator, God, thy Lord, with all your body, heart, mind, with all your might, with all your soul." I've never seen anybody really do that. I've not seen the examples of that. We were told to honor our mothers and fathers. And when we were little, when I was a little girl, you know, parents used to tell you, don't go out here acting crazy because I will beat you. you. You understand? So we we were very much attuned to the fact that we represented them. And I'm still very much attuned to the fact that I represent lineages of people. And I care to truly represent them to the degree to which they are extremely proud of me from wherever they may be within the spirit worlds. You understand? So that mindfulness, all of it, we're, we're activating the spirits that we are as these points of this absolute and supreme intelligence. Now, the other aspect of the healing is realizing that whatever men have declared, men who have already proven that they do not have anybody's best interests at heart, because if they had anybody's best interests at heart, they would have left us the hell alone. And the law, the fulfillment of the law is love. And love is the harmony of truth that we all exist and we should not be dying at all. So to be raised in a death culture, healing is, is so much more than getting off the high blood pressure meds and, you know, feeling better and losing that gut and losing that butt. And you understand people don't want to really, you know, accept the responsibility of being godly, to be rightly aligned with the laws that govern existence. Cleansing is a requisite. The, uh, the clay is very powerful in neutralizing the poison. It's, it's, it's powerful for neutralizing acid reflux, nausea, um, you know, the, the, the body adjusting with pregnant women in their first trimester, the morning sickness and all of that. It's good for neutralizing any kind of toxicity and chemical poisoning, including chemo and radiation. I'm wondering if you can talk about the importance of the gathering circles, the importance of people gathering together in high spirits and how that togetherness is can be a form of healing in its own sense. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. This is the thing, too, is that the light always has the right to triumph. All right? 
the light has the right to triumph. It is the only victory possible over the ignorance, the disobedience, the disregard, the despair, that which we look at as gloom and and all of that, right? And so there isn't anyone who is devoid of light. Everyone has light. Everyone has light. All right, everyone has been tampered with, everyone needs cleansing. But when we come together, right, when we come together, we have the opportunity to really, uh, particularly where there is an intention to add unto and to bless. You understand? Now, what I've realized over, over the period is as these individuations of the very spirit and presence of an absolute and supreme intelligence, that is our truth. But many people are not living in their truth. They are living by virtue of the boxes. You understand in terms of the socioeconomics, where we gather, we have the opportunity to interact. Where we gather, we have the opportunity to meet other extensions of ourselves. Where we gather, we have the opportunity to see a different aspect and have a different perspective with ourselves because we, the, the cosmic conformity is in the multiplicity of diversity. And once we really begin to see ourselves and know ourselves as these parts of the divinity of existence, then, then our gathering has real power. You understand now, these ones, the sick ones who created this sick society, right? They've always tried to discourage that. Yet you understand we have to get permission and you know, you could only do it in the context of the church. But the gathering in, in the greatest degrees of personal integrity would have the greatest degrees of power. In this day and time, we have the opportunity to communicate. We have the opportunity to dialogue. We have the opportunity to really um, share how we're being impacted and other ones when we come together in prayer and meditation and focusing. Then we can get insights as to what more we could do in our own best interest. You know, so there's the sacredness of what it is to be community, the common unity, the creator's presence, the intelligence of existence is the highest and lowest common denominator of all beings. And when we come together, we have the opportunity to really get lifted beyond the circumstances and the situations. The uniqueness or maybe the the power of specifically black people coming together gathering together can you talk about the presence of our ancestors i i look at it like from from a maybe a little different perspective than many um, I take very seriously uh, the responsibility to walk a stronger walk on behalf of all of those who've come before me. I take very seriously the responsibility to 
acknowledge the reality that that I am and we each are the beneficiaries of the realizations, the revelations, the epiphanies, the intellectual property and all of the that which other ones have come to that we have access to in our now moment. Now, in terms of the lineages through whom we've come, those of us who are here as African Americans or those ones who have had some African ancestry also have indigenous ancestry and some of the indigenous Af ancestry was older African ancestry and everybody's rooted from, from that. But then we've all come to the earth through the wombs of our mothers. So the beings that we are and the ones that we represent is still beyond our uh, earthness, our land base. But the DNA and, and what we have access to through the lineages that we represent, when, when beings pass away or, or when they die, and, and I'm beginning to make distinctions between dying and leaving, <laughs> based upon what your beliefs were, based upon how you lived, based upon whether you fulfilled destiny, whether you graduated the class of Earth residency with flying colors. But I am not of the belief that just because people pass on or people die, that they automatically are in a place where they can help you if they were not a help to you while they were on the planet. Not everyone is called to be a spirit guide. There are those ones who, you know, one can never estimate the fullness of the consciousness of the person, all right? But I can pretty much guarantee you that if they spent all of their lives drinking, smoking, getting high, eating the flesh of dead animals, the aborted fetuses of chickens, the pus and mucus of cows and whatnot, that when if they were able to get out the body alive, that they weren't in a position to move into exalted realms where all of a sudden they can give exalted thought and exalted guidance. And so I'm, I'm of, the, of the thought that we who are dwelling now in this now moment of eternity have access to so many ones and that the more consistent we are in loving the creator with our whole body, heart, mind, with all of our might, respecting the divine design, respecting that we are always in sacred space, respecting the reality that every eye that sees, sees as the eye of God. I think that the way that we live is the way that we worship. The way that we love is the way that we express our gratitude and our reverence. The way that we walk, on behalf of all of those who could not, did not, the ones who were lost in the middle passage, the ones who were marginalized in, in the Western expansion, I'm just saying is that I am not real, really thinking that those ones who didn't really give a can guide us at this point. I think that we have to appeal and, and the appeal healing and the application comes as a result of our due diligence on a daily basis in how we are centered in life and what we're reaching for and what we're talking about in terms of that that prayer time that meditation time what are we committed to are we committed to living life in the glory of the truth of the all that we are on behalf of all of those ones are we making those kind of commitments you understand? Because just because I made commitments at 20, let me live to make a difference in this world or let me not live at all. I was 20. All right. Now here we are 40 some years later. And I continue to make commitments and recommit and recommit and recommit and recommit and recommit. 
and continue to do enemas and continue to cleanse and continue, continue, continue to ask and continue to serve. You understand? Because our heart is continuing to beat and we are still being breathed by someone other than ourselves. <laughs> you understand? I think that the, the more consistent we are in doing that, then the greater support we can get from the spirit worlds, whether they're from our direct line of ancestry or whether they're guides, guardians, angels, you understand? And that we have to put ourselves in a place where we can be communicated with. You understand? For all of the ones who've been hung and strung up, do you think there was nobody praying for them? For all of the ones who've been beaten and raped and all of the ones who died of cancer and this and that, was nobody praying for them? No, there's all been we there's all been praying and praying, but how 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 powerful can your prayers be when your all of your faculties are blocked and obstructed with all of this pollution, all of this garbage? In this time of eternity, can you see a, a day? where that garbage does not exist. It's not on the corner. It, you can't go buy it for, through a window or whatever. It's, it's not in the stores. They don't sell it. Can you see that time? I see it, sister. You know why I see it? Because I'm calling for it. Sickness, illness, disease, and death is not sustainable. It will meet its own end. Now, in order for us to expedite that situation, the sisterhood, womanhood, has to be restored in the reality of who she actually is as the perpetuator of lineages. See, wherever there is the man with the womb, there should be a point and center completely committed to the exaltation of life. That means that the sisterhood, womanhood could not be working for Coca-Cola and Burger King and Chick-fil-A. You understand? We make this thing work. We buy these products. We're supporting these industries. We do their advertising. We make their jingles. We, you understand? I'm just saying is that, you know, in order for us as a, as a people and as a, as, a, as a nation and as a global humanity to come to a point where we are freed from the insanity, then we've got to do our own personal work and the commitment to being light and being cleared and being cleansed so that we don't buy it. If there's no demand for it and we stop dealing with it, we're tired of killing ourselves. We're tired of suffering. We're tired of having our breasts cut off and our wombs removed and, and, and our children under all of these uh, breath, uh, breath things because they got asthma and this and that. We're creating so much of this stuff because we have not really applied ourselves in the way that we should apply ourselves towards regaining our stature as the real healers here. We're being called to rise. We're being called to accept duty, obligation, and responsibility. And then if you need support, your number for life support is 678-760-9299. I love you with a perfect love, and it's time for us to love perfectly and accept that perfection is an inherent part of existence. The intelligence of existence did not gift itself here to kill itself over here and exalt itself over there. Everything and all of us have to serve life to be right. To close the show, I want to share a precious and important conversation I had with scholar, professor, therapist, and author, Dr. Lonnie V. Jones. 
She is the Michelle Obama of Albany, New York. <laughs> In the sense that she is brilliant, but still has the humility that makes any homegirl from the block feel comfortable with her. We got into a deep conversation about using black feminisms as a tool for mental health treatment. We talk about the importance of being tapped into our ancestral roots and how the black church and the black therapists can work together to make sure everyone is well. In the middle of the pandemic, Dr. Jones released a collection of research and theory called Re-Envisioning Therapy for Black Women. Listen to Dr. Jones talk about how her motivation for the book came out of a really dark period of her life. You know, I was in a space of self-doubt and I knew I had to do something different. And so I fell back in love with myself. And part of falling back in love with myself, one of the questions I asked myself was, how do I transfer what I have, the power that exists within me to other people? And that led me to re-envisioning therapy with women of color. Re-envisioning, right? And I thought, like, what was the first vision? Can you give us, like, kind of a bit of a history lecture on um, Black women in therapy, the first wave? There's been conversations around feminism and feminist therapy and what that might mean. There's been uh, gender-specific um, therapy, but nothing has spoken to Black feminisms and its use in mental health treatment with women of color. I initially began studying Afrocentric therapy, but I had to also re-envision all that along with feminist work because our Black power, our, our, our Afrocentrism wasn't working with Black women or women of color either, just to be very frank. It always placed Black women at the margin instead of at the center. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you say that because when I think of, uh, for example, even the Black church, Black churches in general, uh, it's usually always a male preacher. However, the congregation is mostly women, and even on the back end, all of the assist work and the secretarial work is always women. The whole church is held up by women. Um, yet yeah, it's always a man preaching. I wonder what do you think about that? What do you think about Black women going to therapists, one, who are, who are men, but two, who are, who are not Black? Do, do we have any type of research or data or anything that you have come across that kind of puts Black women in the center, not only as the, the subject, as the, the person who needs therapy, but also as the person who's healing? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the Black community, we have a lot of data that lacks what we actually do. So I think we both can answer that question. Many Black women serve in the role, many women of color in particular, serve in the role as healers, whether it's the traditional minister, preacher, um, doula. Um, uh, we do many things, whether we're the neighbor down the street or the person working in the health care center. We know that women of color have begun to document and talk, especially in relation to mental health. 
all of the the groups being started on social media where therapists can engage in conversations and support one another. So we know that these healers are beginning to arise or greater acceptance of alternative healing, spiritual healings. And I'm not just talking about the church, whether we choose to heal on the basis of us understanding spirituality and the ways in which metaphysical and spiritual combine or merge to bring a source of healing to the black community as well. I deal with, in dealing with many people or clients, they will say, you know, I'm just going to pray about it. Well, praying about it can get us in trouble. So in addition to praying about it, talk about it. Because God, Jesus is not coming down to have that conversation. Even if you choose not to reach out professionally, you can't do it alone. Because what we come to realize once we reach out is that we are more likely to engage in professional help if needed. Or we find a that there is some sort of cathartic help in overcoming what we, we may be dealing with. I'm wondering if you have any maybe stories you can share with us or experiences that you've had, if you've succeeded or didn't succeed, but getting people kind of over that hump, right? Over the hump of feeling like they're turning their back on God if they go seek therapy, if they go talk to a therapist. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I can actually give you an example that comes to mind of a couple going through marriage difficulties. They initially began by reaching out to the minister at the church. However, someone from the church referred them to me, and the separation between the church in which they see the church sometimes public is that they were able to enter into a private space and they owned it as a private space in which they could talk through the issues, understand the importance of the ministerial staff's involvement, but how important it was for them to heal as individuals and come together to heal as a family so they could move forward. See, my experience is they were not told or asked about their histories around loss and separation. They were presented with more of a scenario, what's happening, and there's nothing that God can't fix. And while I believe that, sometimes you you need those other pieces to understand oneself on an individual level and to understand what you bring with you into that marriage. And, you know, uh, services, counseling services offered through churches can't necessarily do that. The church serves as a a jumpstart and churches now have to become acceptable to referring out for attention to detail, right? So I'm saying we have to work together in particular with black men where trust is very, very low. You find that more women, black women, women of color report symptoms and mental distress, but black men stay silent 
and die of disease due to holding on to stress and illness in their bodies. So in particular for Black men, it's, it's even more so important. Some people have the misnomer that Black feminisms cannot be applied to Black men. Well, the great things about Black, about black feminisms is that they're about the eradication of all sources of oppression, not related to gender, not related to class, not related to race, but there's no discrimination across the board. And there's an understanding of the intersecting realities that especially people of color face. For the church to say, look, we've gotten you to this point. Perhaps we can refer you out to so-and-so who can do that inter additional healing at the same time you're receiving what you need through the church. Therefore, we know that you're coming out as a winner. We know you're coming out well, and when you're well, you're going to continue to give back to the folks in church. Because, right, that's what, from my perspective, Black feminists is about. It's not just about helping a person to do well, but how can that person then step out to support the next person in the community? Hmm. What I hear you saying is anybody can, can learn radical love through Black women, through Black feminists, right? Can you talk a little about the idea of kind of pushing past or maybe even healing from the pressures of society in order to show everyone what Black feminism is, what radical love is. Yes, yes. I mean, as I say to many of my clients, as they're coming to me and saying, you know, this COVID thing is really stressing me out. And I think it's that first level of consciousness raising Um, In terms of sister, black women or women of color have always lived in a state of pandemic and not to normalize it for them, but to remind them that our histories, our long histories of racial injustices, gender inequities, unemployment, the idea in understanding what black feminisms can do. It doesn't go into to fix someone, right? But what it does, it engages you in this idea of understanding power and powerlessness within yourself. It helps you to engage in different role analysis to build knowledge about what are my understandings of gender roles in my community? What are my understandings of power and feeling powerlessness in my community? What are my understandings and how can I access different different avenues for help regardless of how I learned about help um, from my family, from my community? It's okay to say that you are hurting and that you are in pain. You can be healed. And it's not always about illness, but it's about wellness. And when you are well, 
you're able to help someone else to reach that point where they can start from the beginning and receive what they need to be well. So one of my favorite lines is in the salt eaters. She actually says, sweetheart, are you ready to be well? Because wellness is not a trifling matter, meaning that it's difficult, but I'm asking if you're ready to be there. Are you ready to be well? And as soon as you accept that and you say yes, it's time to move because it is not a trifling matter because your life depends on it. When you are well, you vote. When you are well, you can work and contribute to society in your community in your own way. When you are well, no one can infiltrate you. Doesn't matter if it's your mother, your father, your neighbor, your boyfriend, your husband. When you are well, you possess a power within. But wellness requires, and and moving toward wellness requires that you open up for that healing. However you see it for yourself, freedom and liberation. I hope I got to your question. Absolutely. It's so powerful. That was absolutely brilliant. And I have a question that came up listening to your response to that. My feelings of being alone usually are comforted by having a very deep understanding that my ancestors, whom I've never met, are with me still. It's in my blood and I can feel it. Can you kind of talk a little about that idea of Black Americans having that that feeling of knowing that your ancestors are with you? My true um, answer to that is we are often blocking our ancestors. We block them because we read differently or we're told differently. Even for some, when they're speaking to us, we're not able to connect because we're constantly blocking the messages that are sent. We're not open to receiving. And to be open to receiving these um, beliefs and honors that uplift and affirm the Black community, we have to open up spiritually and reclaim the beliefs that connect us to our ancestors. Our ancestors are actually the ones that possess this magic, and they are powerful. And we have to honor them. We're talking about understanding each section of our identity. Then we better understand where we have movement and we have more power than we exist. I asked Dr. Lonnie V. Jones what the future of Black mental health looks like. Here's what she had to say. So the future involves us engaging in radical and transformative transformative mental health practices. The other piece is just having the wherewithal to engage outside the boundaries of what's the norm. It can be hard to find out what you do best. That It can be hard to find the work that you can do that is also going to double as healing work right? You can also consider your healing work. Can you kind of talk to us about when you, you felt or when you realized this was it for you? So, you know, I think that um, intrinsically, 
my ancestors have always given me a message that I belonged in a space where I can do healing work, right? I was on a journey around falling back in love with myself again. I realized that all that I know I was holding in or I was producing for institutions. You can't be selfish. As a healer, you cannot be selfish. You have to let go of all you have to give. But when you fall out of love with yourself. So I present to you this melange of healing practitioners because black and brown folks are complex beings. We get sick in a variety of ways and therefore we need a variety of options for treatment. However, it's understandable why so many of us attempt to navigate by ourselves when we are healing. The evidence of the inherent racism and blatant disregard for our lives in the healthcare system is still being exposed. There was the 40-year Tuskegee experiment. Now today, the staggering death rate of birthing mothers. And I would argue that the biggest public health crisis right now is the predictable police brutality against the Black body. The trauma has resulted in so many Black folks avoiding hospitals and therapists altogether and just trying to heal on our own. And that ancient practice of healing oneself, that's in our blood. Like, that's what we do. However, I am someone who has been on retreats in the jungle to study spiritual herbs. I've practiced yoga and deep meditation for years, and I can 100% understand why only a small percent of the black community practices alternative ways of healing. Because from my experience, there is rarely ever a black face in those spaces. It's hard to find a black woman who owns her own yoga studio and can perform Reiki. It's hard to find a holistic wellness voice that isn't overcharging you for nature's medicine. And it's really difficult to find a black therapist who incorporates black feminisms into treatment sessions. So these are the reasons that Sick Empire exists, to bring you these women so you can see that healing and staying healthy is very, very black. Thank you for listening. (laughs) If you like what you heard, please go right now and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you loved about this episode. Please join me next week. I'll be talking to an aquaponic educator about healing through growing food. And I'll also talk with a chef by day, activist by night, who not only curates dinners to fight criminal justice reform, but also just opened a pizzeria where every single employee is a returning citizen. I'm Brandon Janice, and you just listened to Sick Empire.